to see the guys do something for the first time and see the light bulb, that aha moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard it called it. uh, I've heard it referred to as a teacher's high and it really is. It's, it's incredibly, uh, it's incredibly rewarding. I'm getting kind of emotional about it, but just don't be afraid to, uh, to reach out to someone that's smarter than you. Um, and, and ask for some of that help. You can't explain something simply to somebody else and you, then you don't quite have mastery of it. You can make a lot of money without a college degree, period. When you work in a bubble, like a lot of us did prior to social media, you, you just, you work alone. You don't know what you know. If you're sharing your process, you're opening yourself up to criticism, Okay. And you're, you're opening yourself up to criticism to people who are more skilled than you and, and aren't afraid to share and say and, and reach out and say, hey, have you tried this process or have you tried X instead of what you're doing? It has, if anything, accelerated my learning. It's that last 10% of the project. You start to get exposed. Um, so if you're not doing your proper layout to begin with, and you're just slamming boxes in, you just, you will get exposed at the end of the job. That's your boy, John Hilgenberg of JCH Cabinets. And today, John drops more wisdom, knowledge, and experience here on the Contracting Handbook Podcast. We'll talk about John as an apprentice, what he's up to today, and what led him here. He'll also tell you about his craftsman program and how you can customize your own. For those that are new here, my name is Mike Kenoki, and I'm a GC here in Fairbanks, Alaska. I've been hosting this podcast now in the top 5% of all podcasts globally since May of 2021. Well, like any of my projects, I didn't do it alone. I relied on excellent talent to bring in listeners, and you came. It's also your reviews that have taken the show here. So if you've been on the fence about writing a review, open up iTunes, scroll the reviews, write one, or smash that rating on Spotify. It would mean a lot to me as I independently record and produce this podcast. If you found value in the content, please consider that review and post this podcast directly to your social media and tag us. Hey, no promises, but John and I are going to try to get together and do a follow-up Instagram live this Thursday the 17th. Keep an eye on my bio at the Contracting Handbook for confirmation. But that's enough from me. Now, the man behind the boxes. Do you think that people listening to this podcast should get on iTunes right now and write a review? I think they should. Yeah, I think they really should. (laughs) They'd be stupid not to. But my personal experience was I was working with one kitchen and bath designer for over a decade as as their installer. And so I wasn't an employee, but the work was so steady that I was going from job to job to job to job. And so it was good work. Um, But by not branching out by not having other other designers to work with i think it lowered my um ability to bargain and or know how much i could be charging right because i was just gonna ask was it uh were you interested in becoming a cabinet maker or was that a was that a placeholder oh that was that was complete placeholder i need money to to pay bills to put me through college I thought I was a great apprentice. I have I had recently found out that at times they just wanted to fire me because I was completely useless because I had zero experience, right? You're drinking from a fire hose when you're learning a trade. And if you're not taking notes, you're going to miss the third or fourth thing someone says to you. Or you're going to miss the first thing they say to you because you're not it's a you're learning a new language. With this process up in DC, we had to decouple the installation from the actual training 
Um, and so we would spend a day, we spend a few hours on layout, talking about the importance of layout, the importance of checking appliance specifications. And then we would go into real life, how to describe, you know, a base end panel, how to describe fillers and had to come up with processes to make that repeatable for, for each, each team member. And I had to take two months off to, to heal. I had a procedure done on my elbow and took two months off, no work, no income, nothing. And it was scary as hell. Um, but fortunately, I wasn't in debt and I had reserves to rely upon. And it gave me clarity. It gave me time to, to really sit and think about how I wanted to go about the rest of my, my career and my life. And I have, never, I have not been happier. It's amazing. And that's what I call making the best of a bad situation, huh? Yeah. You're going to make more money sitting in front of your computer than you ever will on the bags. Again, very fortunate that, that a lot of these things are happening. I put myself in a position to, you know, do this craftsman training to consult and uh, potentially get up tools full time. 20 year overnight success, right? Sort of that, that saying, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. My next guest is a high-end designer and installer of high-end cabinetry out of Charleston, South Carolina. He gives away tips and trade secrets on his Instagram account and is an instructor. When he's not making, teaching, and installing, he'll be found spoiling his dog at the coffee shop. Welcome to the Contracting Handbook, John Hilgenberg. That's good to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. So you're crushing the cabinet game in Charleston. What is it about you that sets you apart from the other cabinet guys? Well, I think um, here locally, it's the attention to detail. It's that last 10% of the project um, that people really start to notice. Uh, I think a lot of people can slam boxes in. Um, but when you start getting into the details, the crown moldings, the fillers, um, you start to get exposed. Um, so if you're not doing your proper layout to begin with, and you're just slamming boxes in, you just, you will get exposed at the end of the job. And I think that uh, the process that I've got, um, and it's continually getting, you know, I'm still tweaking it, but the process that I have um, really starts to pay dividends once the job gets to close to the end, when the clients can, can really kind of see the difference and be wowed by it. contractors as well. Yeah, I noticed um, on one of your posts, you had a pretty big box set, inset box set that needed an eighth inch reveal all the way around. Finished rock, uh, there was finished rock that you were working into and that was super impressive. Because, yeah. because an eighth inch reveal over what, whatever it was, 12, probably 20 lineal feet, 25 lineal feet, that's no joke. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, man, because you start when you work in a bubble, like a lot of us did prior to social media, you you just you work alone. You don't know what you know. Uh, you don't know. Maybe I guess this, I'm trying to say this with some humility. I guess you don't know maybe how good you are. 
Um, and you don't know how difficult things are until you put them out there and people start commenting back. That's, that was, that was insane. Or that's incredibly difficult. The level of detail that you're, that you're putting in and getting out of the projects, it, it seems to be next level. And, um, yeah, it's um, it's certainly entertaining. It's fun, and uh, the best part is just kind of sharing the process. I'm borderline live streaming it uh, when I'm doing stories uh, with very little um, editing, and just kind of rolling with it, so people can kind of see and follow along that process, so they can learn from it. Absolutely. Who knew how important or how cool it would be to so many people that an eighth-inch reveal over twenty-five feet would be so cool. If you do finish work, it is. If you right. How do you deal with detractors on social media? Because I know you must have some. I'll tell you, man, I have, I talked to other people that, that seem to get a lot of detractors that seem to get a lot of negative um, feedback. I have seemed to escape that relatively unscathed. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just, I'm just, again, very fortunate. Um, if one or two people come at me a little hard about something, I'll try to explain my process. If they don't get it, fine, you know, um, I'm, but I'm not going to engage, right? And I think that's what people are looking for when they do, when they are detractors, they're looking for engagement. They're looking, and I've been guilty of it too. I've, I've, I've said some things that I probably shouldn't have said to people. Um, I do regret it, but ultimately um, I have been largely unscathed when it comes to, um, detractors because I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm just putting information out there. Um, and I'm trying to be humble about it. I'm not dictating like, this is the way you should be doing it. It's more of a, this is the way I do it. Um, if you don't like it, let me know if you have a better way. And it seems to, um, it seems to have served me very well. So you fly solo on the job site and that's tricky as a cabinet guy, but you figured out ways and means to get it all done and that you're sharing that now, but do you have help on the business side? Uh, I, I've got a, an accountant uh, and a bookkeeper and that's about it. Um, do a lot of the drafting myself. I do. Yeah, that, that is it. I am uh, pretty much a one man show when it comes down to it, very similar to a lot of, uh, a lot of the cabinet installers, I guess the higher end cabinet installers I have found tend to work solo 100% both in and out of the field. Okay. Do you GC as well, or, or, or are you just like a specialty contractor? Specialty contractor. Um, I had the opportunity a few years back, uh, one of the contractors that I do work with, he asked me to, um, he asked me to join him as a, as a project manager. And in retrospect, it might've been a good move, but then again, I could see that um, things were starting to shape up on the cabinetry end for me as a solo installer, but also um, kind of moving into design but, and, and also training. And so I uh, kind of gambled on myself and took that as a, and, and stayed with uh, the cabinetry game as opposed to getting into contracting. How long, how long ago was that? It was about five years ago. Do you do other work besides cabinets and trim or is it? I am highly specialized. I have done nothing. I have the only work I have done is cabinetry for 22 plus years. I am highly specialized mm. to the point where if you were to ask me to do a hand railing on a staircase, I would look like an idiot. 
I, I can, you know, can I frame a wall? Absolutely. Is it going to take me eight hours when it could take a framer, maybe 20 minutes? Absolutely. So it's, um, it's a, it, it sometimes feels, um, I mean, I get very insecure in that aspect where I'm so highly specialized that if you were to put me on a job site running trim, yeah, I could get it done and I could learn the processes, but boy, it would be slow and painful to watch. So, um, yeah, hmm. specifically cabinets. Well, we can leave the stairs to Tom Lawson. Yeah. He's on here. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, as a, as more of a generalist myself, you know, I, I never, I mean, I was more, I, when I was a carpenter, I still am in theory, but I'm more of a GC. Right. But when I jump from different things to different things, it was the process you, when you're out of practice, even crown molding, for instance, it takes, it takes some time to get warmed back up to it. You don't just walk in and be like, okay, here we go. You're yeah. looking, you're checking many, 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 many times. And, and so I feel you on that, that aspect of, of uh, not being totally secure going to try something different, you know? Yeah. You're, it's interesting. What's a, what's unique local challenge you encounter with your work? You know, you're in Charleston, anything stand out? Uh, I think the, the biggest challenge is, and I think a, a lot of the uh, maybe installers across the country, it's the pricing aspect, figuring out pricing, where you stand. Um, the, the strange thing is that when I do talk to guys across the country about pricing, I always feel as though Charleston is on the low end. And that seems to be changing a little mm. bit. Um, but I think just trying to uh, figure out um, pricing without pricing yourself out, but it always, I get the feeling that Charleston wages have been suppressed for a very long time. Like once uh, mm. 2008, 2010 hit, you know, wages certainly got suppressed and fighting tooth and nail to get back up and back and above, above and beyond that, those wages um, has, has been interesting because I have talked to other local installers, even so much as like a year or two ago, and they were charging prices that were back in 06, 07. It's like, guys, you're, you're dragging us down, you know? And so the biggest challenge I think is just trying to price, understanding value that you do offer or that you can offer uh, to certain clients. And um, that's why I think I've, I've decided to venture away from subcontracting installing because it just felt like I was um, beating my head up against the wall, trying to get what I thought I was worth couple things there. First, um, wages have feel like have been suppressed. I, I think about when I was, when I had employees and, and when I was a carpenter in the field and wages didn't seem to change in that time. And I think wages should be higher for uh, carpenters are, I always say carpenters are, are grossly underpaid. I couldn't agree more. What would you say? You said that Charleston's at the low end of the high end mark cabinet market. So what? It's yeah, go ahead. Well, what, what would be a, an average price for a project that you'd be, you'd be talking about? I would say the average price for a, a large house install is running about, was running about 15 to 20,000. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, you know, five bathrooms, laundry room, pantry, kitchen, island, uh, a scullery, a quote unquote scullery or a butler's, you know, what would be a butler's pantry. Um, and that would entail many, many weeks of work and an inordinate amount of detail. And so it just, 
once you start tracking your time and looking at the hours that you're actually putting into it, it certainly didn't uh, feel like it, it was worth the, you know, not only the, the time, but also the wear and tear on the body, you know? Um, but again, markets are so different across the country. It's hard to compare that 15 to say somebody working in Denver, Colorado, or, or you know, Salt Lake uh, on the high end. So it's, it's really hard to gauge, but it's always felt like when I was in these group chats with other installers, I would start telling them and they just couldn't believe it based on the content that I'm putting out mm-hmm. and, and seeing, and we're talking about the rates it was, it was jarring to them and jarring to me to find that out. Cause again, you don't know when you are working in a bubble until you start talking to guys outside of your, your area and start talking to guys of the same, that same level of expertise start talking about pricing and realizing, okay, this is what I, this is where I should be as a, as a quote unquote high-end uh, cabinet installer. And that was a failing on my part as well. Just maybe not pushing the boundaries by not charging more and just being content with what I was making as opposed to going, okay, I should be charging more on these. I shouldn't just be, you know, not so much breaking even, but I should be much more profitable. Yeah, you should be headed towards the finish line, headed towards retirement. Correct. Have, some of that comes from that you were subcontracting. So there's an expectation set by the general or whoever right. it is, the comp, cabinet shop. And then how about the cabinet set themselves? Can you give me a range on that? I would say the general range is about $250,000 for a cabinetry package uh, in the Charleston area. And that's, that's a whole house project. That's kitchen butler's pantry, laundry, multiple bathrooms, et cetera. What were you looking for in partners at the time when you were subbing? Cause you're done with that now, but yeah. See, tell me yeah, about the mindset going into that and experiencing it and then coming back out the other side. See, I think uh, I'm, I'm an oddity or maybe not so much an oddity, but my personal experience was I was working with one kitchen and bath designer for over a decade as a, as their installer. And so I wasn't, an employee, but the work was so steady that I was going from job to job to job to job. And so it was good work. Um, But by not branching out, by not having other, other designers to work with, I think it lowered my um, ability to bargain and, or know how much I could be charging. Right. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a job, but I'm also being told by the designer, okay, this is what we have in the project. How does that look? I was like, okay, that looks okay. But by not having a little bit of a diversity to be able to look at that job and go, I don't know, man, that, that doesn't quite, um, it looks okay, but I can go work over here for this designer during that time and make even more or look at a job that might be more profitable. And so that it was good in that I got to learn a lot. I got to, I got to just be um, hone in my skills and just work on these, these prog- these, these projects that were high end and required a, a, a credible level of detail. Um, but I think it also limited me as far as what I could be charging or what I should be charging long-term, mm-hmm. you know, but I will say the education that I got, doing that, I think is paying dividends long-term because not only did I, was I the installer, I had to do a lot of sort of design on the fly 
and engineering in the field because it just felt like a lot of details. I actually, it didn't feel like a lot. There were no details in the drawings. I had no section views. I had no crown molding. Mm. Um, it was here's here's your molding parts and pieces, and you know, very general um, layout or, or design or zero section views on anything. And so it was like, okay, figure it out. And so it it made me great as an installer, but it also helped me. Um, get really good and efficient at, uh, at design too. Almost, almost as an understudy, it felt like. That's an interesting perspective because I feel like as a GC, let's say I'm building a home and I'm giving some drawings and a lot of the details aren't there. And you ask questions and like, well, figure it out. Right. <laughs> well, that takes time. Right. And I, and we have a kind of an expectation of what it's going to cost me to do this, but now I'm really busy with my other stuff. This house isn't off the ground and you want me to sit here and stare at this set of plans and think it through in advance. Well, it could have just been done by someone else. Right. And, and, and I think when you click on that, when you really realize that you go, oh no, I just need to be getting paid for every minute I spend on this. I need to get paid for this time somehow. Right. Right. And, and not necessarily as an hourly thing, but because you're, because you can solve the problems quicker now, but, uh, but some, some level of compensation called. Right. Or, or getting paid more. Yeah. Yeah. Above and beyond more. that sort of, yeah. Above and beyond that piece rate that a lot of subcontractors are charging that, you know, piece part rate where, yeah, what about the level of expertise that I'm bringing here and problem solving aspect where that hasn't been uh, thought about in the field. Um, so yeah. And then I think what happens is what happened with me particularly, I just started to get, um, just a little resentful about it. Like, why am, why am I, why do I feel like I'm figuring a lot of this stuff out? Why wasn't this figured out on the front end? You know, a lot of the work in my opinion should be done in a shop. Anything that could be done. And you touched, you touched about touched on this, uh, with Spencer and in, in your, your podcast with Spencer, anything that can be pre-assembled in a shop should be you know if something can be done in the shop you're going to save that much more time on the back end as opposed to having you know just parts and pieces strewn across the job site that you have to figure out to put together to build something that should be done in the shop mm -hmm. you know um switching up here a little bit yeah. how does the post covid roadmap look different than before those dark times you know, I was, I felt like an anomaly. Um, I, not only did I not stop working, work ramped up. And here in Charleston, we were deemed um, essential from, I think, day one. If not day one, it was day two or three, it felt like. And so, yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of fear. Um, but I, I ramped up. It was wild to the point where once I think, last year started rolling around and I talked about, talked to some other guys about this. We felt like we were burning out because we were going, you know, you know, hundred miles an hour throughout this entire thing where other people were a little more relaxed and um, scared that they maybe weren't bringing an in income, but you know, I was on the opposite end of that spectrum where I was working nonstop, um, very profitable. And so post COVID, it just seems to have ramped up even, it feels like it's ramped up even more. 
only now that since that fear is gone and people are traveling and, and opening things up, the craftsman training has sort of um, blossomed again. Whereas right before COVID, it was things were starting to, it was getting some traction. And then COVID hit and it just, all those leads just kind of stopped. So that's, 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 I think the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Here the, we were concerned because everything was getting shut down and then uh, what two or three days in, they said we're essential workers. Yeah. The work. Exactly. The people that need to maintain communities can go back to work. Now you you actually don't count. It is whatever we're doing. Anyway, yeah. we had, we had, I would say a similar thing here where things really ramped up. It was really strange how, how busy everything got. Uh, it was already booming here. And then COVID was like a crazy boom here. Yeah. And now before we talk about the craftsman training program that you were get, alluding to there, let's yeah. go back to a, a, a young John Hilgenberg. And I saw that uh, somewhere that you got a job at a cabinet shop when you were 19. No, I think, it was, no, honestly, it was 24. So it was a, yeah, long time ago. So I was 20, 24. Okay. And by chance, and by chance, completely by chance. Uh-huh. I needed a job yeah. in between semesters of college. I was just going to ask, was it, uh-huh. were you interested in becoming a cabinet maker or was that a, was that a placeholder? Oh, that was, that was a complete placeholder. I need money to, to pay bills to put me through college. And it, my brother and I joke about it now because I was always the one sort of bound for college, right? He was always the grease monkey and he still is. I mean, he's just very and highly intelligent, very hands-on, very successful business owner in his own right. And uh, we still kind of laugh about it because n- no one would have ever pegged me for being in the trades at the time. Because um, mm. I was always a, the, a sort of, book type of a guy, book learner, um, like two left thumbs when it came to, um, to anything handy. And so, yeah, I was a placeholder and I had zero experience. So I don't know how I got here, <laughs> to be honest. That's the same old story, I think, for a lot of people is they didn't intend on it. Yeah. And, and when I was a kid, it was a, they said, Learn a trade as a fallback. Right, right. I did. I did. And I fell right into it. Go ahead. No, and so the thing is about growing up in California and, and maybe just where I was, it's just the trades were always, it always felt like the trades were, were a fallback or were looked down upon. And this could have been my own perspective at the time. I don't know. But moving to Massachusetts and getting a job at a cabinet shop seemed to carry some weight and some respect mm. up in the Northeast and the people I would talk to, Oh, I'm, I'm trained to be a cabinet maker. Oh my God, my grandfather's a cabinet maker or my father is a cabinet maker. And so there seemed to be a level of respect that I had never experienced before. Um, when you would tell people you're working in the trades and not only that, I realized you can actually enjoy what you do for a living. I got paid really well. I mean, this was a small shop, but it was, Great pay, medical, dental, 401k, profit sharing, and a vehicle and a phone. So these were, these felt very corp, like very corporate benefits in a blue collar, you know, trade. And so that was just very eye opening. Okay, you can actually make this into a career and be happy at the same time. 
That's amazing. And how quick, how long after you were pushing a broom in a cabinet shop was, did you get all that? Uh, very quickly. I think after the first year, um, you're, you're eligible for profit sharing, um, and all of the, uh, the benefits of like the medical dental, um, were, were very quick. And, you know, within three years I had, you know, my own work vehicle and all my tools, you know, supplied to me and I was just off and running at that point. So, so you were, you had an aptitude and like, what were you like as an apprentice? Um, I thought I was a great apprentice. I have, I had recently found out that at times they just wanted to fire me because I was completely useless because I had zero experience. Right. Uh And, um, but I think, um, I took a lot, I think what set me apart is I took a lot of notes. I always had a little notepad with me. And so when my foreman or, um, the person training me out in the field, Chris Priori would tell me rattle off a lot of things. I would write them down because you're just, you're drinking from a fire hose when you're learning a trade. And if you're not taking notes, you're going to miss the third or fourth thing someone says to you, or you're going to miss the first thing they say to you because you're not, it's a, you're learning a new language. And so taking notes, I think uh, really helped. And then seeing other people around me make mistakes. You know, I'm an observational learner. I think like a lot of us are in the trades. And so I was very fortunate that there was someone else in the shop that was, um, let's just say predisposed to making a lot of mistakes. And I got to learn from that and watch him and go, okay, I'm not going to do that. And so I think I was a a quick study um, and that I got to learn by, by watching people make mistakes and also by making mistakes. And they weren't afraid to tell you that you made a mistake in a very Massachusetts style. Mm -hmm. I can relate. I was, I feel like I was a quick study, but man, there were some big mistakes. So now your JCH cabinets, you've got uh, a lot of people that love your work. You didn't see this coming. You didn't see that, you know, that you were living in a bubble. So what do you, what, what's the value in abolishing these trade secrets? For instance, you just give it away on Instagram. Right. You know, again, I think um, Spencer touched on it and I, I will as well. It's got me um, to be a better to be a better craftsman because if you're sharing your process, you're opening yourself up to criticism. Okay, and you're you're opening yourself up to criticism to people who are more skilled than you and and aren't afraid to share and say and and reach out and say, hey, have you tried this process or have you tried X instead of what you're doing? And so. It has, if anything, accelerated my learning. I, I have gotten to be such a better cabinet installer in the past five years of being on, on this platform or sharing what I've been sharing. It's scary how good I think that I have gotten from, from when I started sharing to where I am now. Because again, you, you learn more. If you can explain something um, simply and then you are then you are a master of something. If you can't explain something simply to somebody else, then you then you don't quite have mastery of it. And so I think helping me or by by sharing it, it's helped me, um, you know, come up with succinct ways to explain things, and it's helped me understand my processes better by being able to explain it quickly in fifteen second clips, you know, and be done with it. Very interesting. I like that, and I can I can relate on a level of when I was trying to manage 
three to five dudes walking away after having had a conversation with my foreman coming back and being like, whoa. We both looked each other in the eye and thought we were communicating and we weren't. Yeah. And, and that, I like that, that if you can't say it succinctly, you haven't really mastered what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not afraid to admit it. If, if I'm stumbling through something, I'm going to say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling here. And if anybody has any, uh, has a better process, let me know. Because I think um, one thing that I, I, I'd like to pride myself on is a little bit of humility that I want, that I am a student as well. And so if somebody has a better process, please let me know and I'll try it. Um, sometimes I'll, and what I used to do is automatically dismiss it. Like, oh, that's, that's, that's just terrible. That's a terrible idea. Pre-assembly crown is just stupid. I tried it first. I threw it away. I was like, this is, I'll never do this again. Tried it again, realized there was some, some, some validity to it. And then now it's my process. That's the only way I will do it. Mm. Pre-assembled bench on the crown and then put it up, pre-assembled the crown on the bench and then put it up. It's just so much easier and faster. So you have to be able to, to open yourself up to criticism but then you also have to try other people's process, other people's processes. Yeah, you can't let pride stand in the way of, of growth. <laughs> you cannot, man. There's always somebody better out there, and there yeah. really are. They're yeah. just not sharing. Yeah, there's so much intertwined here. Let's start talk, start talking about the the craftsman training. Part of it kind of hinges on getting older. I saw I saw an interview with the local Charles outfit that a healthy and fit forty three. Um, but there's a time when the body won't do what you need to be able to do, but you, you kind of started falling into consulting. What's the, what's the plan? What, and tell me about that. Yeah. So about, I think it was, it was four years ago. I got a call from a gentleman out in California, a very successful remodeler. His name's Marshall Booth. He, he called me up or he actually sent me a direct message on Instagram said, Hey, love what you're doing. I like everything that you're sharing. Would you like to come out to San Diego um, and train my crew for a few days. I, I had no idea this could be a thing. Um, it scared the hell out of me. Um, I thought I was a very introverted person. And so to put myself in a position in front of people, like actual people on your phone, it's a whole different ball game. Um, but I, of course I said, yes. And so let me, you know, let me put something together. And I, I called uh, a good friend of mine, Sean Van Dyke, which I think some of you, not, you people might know, and uh, sat on a bucket in a garage with a, with a yellow legal pad. And we just kind of game planned, put together uh, a package. And uh, Marshall said yes. And I flew out to San Diego and that kind of kicked off this whole, this whole craftsman training um, thing, experiment, so to speak. And so how do you kind of find a balance between installs and then getting a program going because getting another program going is another job and you're already dedicated to what you've got going on. Right. That's a lot of extra work. So, you know, it's, it was good in that I had with, as a subcontractor installer, you do have a lot of flexibility, especially on larger products or projects, not so much remodels, right? So new construction projects, the lifespan of these, uh, of these installs is very, can be very long. Like you can be on a job for two, for two weeks 
and then have to pull out to go to another project for another two weeks. And once countertops show up at the first job, then you can go back or sometimes a job gets shut down for paint for three or four weeks. So there is some flexibility there. And then if I can say I'm starting a project in, you know, let's call it November. And I know I need two weeks to get cabinetry set. Then I know after that second week, I can free myself up to go, say, fly somewhere to, uh, to train a crew for a week. So with the new, new construction, again, having that flexibility and the size and, and the length um, of these jobs, that it does afford, um, afford some flexibility to be able to, to put it in the schedule. Okay, so I'm just going to clarify for myself because mm -hmm. I, I can't, like I, we were talking about yesterday, I can't tell from social media exactly what's really going on in anyone's life. Right. It all just looks, it all just looks like everybody's dialed. And, you know, <laughs> We're all making it up, man. <laughs> I'm just making but, it up. Like, oh. But I'm like, oh, man, yeah. everybody's dialed. But um, so the program is completed. Like, do you, are you expanding it or are you, is it like, is it an entity you can, you have your, you have your processes dialed for how you're going to teach. It's all done or is it evolving or. Um, I, I think it's, it's still evolving. Um, we're, I was back up in, uh, I was back up in Washington, DC about two weeks ago training. And this one was completely different in that I trained over 24 guys in four days. It's a large company, four brothers uh, up in Washington, DC. And most of the time, I'm sort of on the tools with a, with a team for four days. And so we have to reach certain benchmarks in order to train on certain things, you know, um, job site layout, pre-shimming of walls, install base cabinets, and then scribe end panels and or fillers to walls, get wall cabinets up to start working on crown molding and crown molding techniques and then some touch-up techniques. And so they, you have to reach certain benchmarks in order to teach certain things. With this process up in DC, we had to decouple the installation from the actual training. Um, and so we would spend a day, we spend a few hours on layout, talking about the importance of layout, the importance of checking appliance specifications. And then we would go into real life, how to scribe, you know, a base end panel, how to scribe fillers and had to come up with processes to make that repeatable for, for each, each team member. And so it was really liberating by, you know, decoupling the, the installation from the training that we were able to cover a lot in one day. And so I think now going forward, you know, spending a, a solid day doing that, that style of training and then getting into the installation aspect, the real world implementation of that, as opposed to, you know, spend that one day training the team on layout, scribing techniques, crown molding pre-assembly, light rail pre-assembly, touch up, and then do that that first day. And then the, the, the last three days, we just go gangbusters on an install. And I, you know, watch and, and coach and teach, but also hands-on helping the guys too. So that, that right now is, I think, the perfect um the the perfect sort of um week so to speak it's very gratifying to be able to share what you know it it really is i have to catch i catch myself laughing and smiling more than i ever have i mean to the point where yeah i am stepping back and appreciating the moment because we're having such a good time 
doing this. It doesn't feel like work. It's, and it sounds very cliche, but it is work. It's very hard work. It's, um, I have more respect for teachers than I ever had in my entire life. Um, you don't realize the amount of work that goes into teaching um, because it's, it's not just when they're there teaching, it's figuring out a lesson plan. It's being on ta- and talking nonstop and being engaging and trying to make it fun and trying to um, get people involved. And so it's, it's, it's a good bit of work, but man, it's, it's, it's really rewarding to see the guys do something for the first time and see the light bulb, that aha moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard it called it. Uh, I've heard it referred to as a teacher's high and it really is. It's, it's incredibly, uh, it's incredibly rewarding. I'm getting kind of emotional about it because it's so um, it's just so, so fun. man. It's really rewarding. That's cool. Uh, I talked to Aaron, Butt a couple months ago, yeah. And he, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head what he called it, but he was just, man, when you see that the sparks fly and, and them smile and know they did it. And yeah, because you showed them because so much of what we learn is as the teacher was trial by fire and big yes. mistakes. Yes. And you're, and you're taking years of the learning curve off people's lives. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What lessons starting JCH cabinets carry into the, what you're doing now in the training. What did you learn starting that business that carries over that makes starting another wing of the business easier? I think just having done something before, right. And me starting JCH cabinets was, you know, out of necessity. It was, Oh, um, 2008 hit, you're out of a job and you're in debt you know, to the tune of let's, I'm going to, I'll say it, a tune of 25 to $30,000 in bad debt, not good debt, bad debt. So, you know, having just been, been forced into a, into a job or in which I did create a job and create a business, created JCH cabinets. And then, then just became an employee in my own company, basically. Um, I think just having done it, realizing there's, there's, anything's possible. It's not too much work. And oh yeah, don't carry debt. That's probably the biggest um, was don't be stupid with your money. And uh, that was a very important lesson to learn. So I think if anything, uh, what I've learned is, um, you know, anything is, it's very, it's very simple to, to create a business uh, in a sense. Um, but you just have to, you have to watch your money and you have to manage your money a little what was the final driver that pushed you away from subcontracting? I know, I know we all say like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I said, I'm not doing remodels anymore for a while. And, and then I'll be like, oh, I'll do, well, except for that. Right. Yeah. But, but, but what was the final impetus that was like, all right, no more. I think um, a lot of us know that um, injury, Injury forces us to do things, maybe forces us to, to make those decisions that we have been maybe putting off or, um, or avoiding and having, having a nagging elbow injury last year, um, and getting to the point where I could, I could barely lift the cabinet and I could barely lift my tools to get them into my van. Um, and then getting a pinched nerve on my neck as well, because it's all sort of interconnected and intertwined and then looking around and, um, 
I, I was, I was sitting in my chair in the morning drinking coffee on the verge of tears in pain. And I, I had the thought, so this is it, this is it. Right. And so it was, um, getting the injury, uh, crystallized things for me that I knew that I could not continue to be, um, a subcontractor installer, at least in this capacity, I had to start, uh, making some, making some hard decisions as to what I, what I really needed to do to, um, protect my body and protect my, uh, my peace of mind and my sanity. Cause I was just a, I was a very unhappy person. I was not a good place. I was angry and resentful and in pain constantly. And that forced me to, um, it forced me into quote unquote retirement. And I had to take two months off to, to heal. I had a procedure done on my elbow and took two months off, no work, no income, nothing. And it was scary as hell. Um, but fortunately I wasn't in debt and I had reserves to rely upon and it gave me clarity. It gave me time to, to really sit and think about how I wanted to go about the rest of my, my career and my life. And I have never, I have not been happier. It's amazing. And that's what I call making the best of a bad situation, huh? Yeah. Cause if the injury didn't happen, I would have been limping along literally and figuratively for how many more knows how many more years, you know, somewhat happy making an okay living, but injured all the time and not really looking after myself in, in a way that I, that I should have been. And we see that a lot in the trades. You see people dragging a leg behind them. I mean, yeah, you know, you can see they're obviously hurt. Yeah. got to persevere. And not everybody yeah. wants to start their own business. And, and yeah, I can relate. I, I've been dragging a leg a little bit more than I'd like to be this year. Yeah. But, uh, and things you get excited about when you're 49, my physical therapy appointment got moved from <laughs> Monday, from this Monday to today. <laughs> so after I hang up with you, I'm going PT. <laughs> yeah, I can. And I'm excited. Straight, I, I hate that I can relate so well to that. And, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the older you get, the higher, the, the more, uh, the more orthopedic um, appointments you have. You know, it's yeah, you know, directly related. It's, um, but hey, man, and you start to appreciate, and you start to realize you have to, you have to take care of your body. Um, you do. One good thing about being being in the trades and and being a cabinet installer kept me very fit. You know, I do appreciate that aspect of it. It was just getting, it was beating me up to the point where my body could not repair itself, and. Um, so yeah, totally appreciate the physical therapy appointments. And you've had this close-up look with injury and like what that feels like to sit still for two months. I know I can't, I hate being down. Yeah. I, I hate being in bed, laying there, icing an injury and you can't really focus on anything. Yeah. I mean, it takes extreme focus when you're hurting and you can't get your physical, you know, I have to be physical for part of the day for my brain to really kick on. I have to do something. Yeah. And, and I know how hard that is. Um, so you've had this, this brush and now you've got to be looking towards retirement and like what the next, cause that's the next logical thing. Right. Um, what do you see, like, what does retirement look like for you? Uh, retirement looks like craftsman training full-time. Uh-huh. 
that that ultimately um, still studying uh, the craft, still being active in it in, in some capacity, but teaching, teaching is teaching is going to be in my, my retirement. It's, it doesn't, um, it won't require as much physically. I'll still, it'll keep me sharp and it'll keep me plugged in. And I think it's ultimately, um, that's the, that's, that's my swan song, right? That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Lift that box, young person. Right. No, you're doing that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Do it this way. I can show you, um, you know, it's a a song. I'm not, I'm, I'm not as good as I once was, or, uh, I'm good as once as I ever was something along those lines. But yeah, I think, um, Ultimately, that's the goal is, is to get into training full time. I like it. Yeah. Um, what would be your advice to any tradesperson that wants to start a business? Study, um, get mentors. It's okay to admit that you're not um, good with your numbers. It's okay to admit that you don't know what you're doing. Uh, reach out to people. I think Instagram. Um, is an, has been an incredible platform for me and not just a sense that, yeah, it's helped me kick off this craftsman training thing. It's helped me share um, a lot of my processes. It's put me in touch with people that are way smarter than me. And like, to the point, it's very humbling to talk to people and you know, realize just how sort of dumb I am when I'm talking to very successful business owners that are in the trades. Um, and you realize yeah, I'm kind of dumb compared to you, but how can you help me or can you help me? And a lot of people who are successful um, will offer to help and they, and they want to, and they're going to be your biggest cheerleaders. So the biggest thing is to, I guess, to not be afraid to ask questions, not be afraid to ask Mm. for help and, and be humble about it and just know that you're, you're not the smartest person. And even if you can pick up 10% of of what a highly intelligent person is laying down, you're that much smarter. That not asking questions is a huge barrier. I think it's yes. one of the biggest barriers people have in anything and yes. letting pride, pride get in the way. Yeah. Because the, the people we see as highly successful, not just money wise, just they're, they've got their systems dialed. They know what they're doing. And they're living the life they want to live. Mm-hmm. They're not just, they're not just like beating themselves up and getting paid and being like, okay, this is the hamster wheel. Like you, we talked about yesterday, you know, they're, they're doing what they want, but they can look at you. If you ask, they can just look at a little bit of what you're doing and say, this is, this should go away. This yeah. is because, because they did it for themselves. Not all of us have those capabilities. You say, you say, you're dumb compared to them or whatever. I don't, I don't think it's that. It's just, there are savants out there. There are people that are just highly, they absolutely very observant. And self-observation is also something we just don't do enough of because we're preoccupied. Right. Yeah. I think um, hiring a business coach too, for me, um, mm. shameless, shameless plug was had really turned my life around. Help me, um, help me put in some of those processes and gain the confidence in the sales process and in myself. Um, and you can follow that under mentor as well. It's just a mentor that you're that you've paid for. 
but just don't be afraid to, uh, to reach out to someone that's smarter than you um, and, and ask for some of that help. And some people, a lot, a lot of people might turn you down, who knows, but you might, and you most likely will come across somebody who's going to be willing to help you and, and won't be afraid of helping. You won't feel threatened by it because they are so successful. They're not going to be threatened by you. They want to share and help you get to a point where you can be comfortable and you can ultimately retire. Absolutely. And I think that someone who would be listening to this, who would still kind of very vacuous to them, it's too big to think about. You could just look at anyone in your building community that, that you respect and start there. Yes. They don't have to be an Instagram star. They don't have to be any, they just, if you see them as someone you admire, go ask them because the the probability is they're going to be flattered that you ask them for one. And they'll definitely want to help. And I, yeah. I remember being very intimidated to ask older guys or, or the, especially the business owners, any questions. Cause they, you know, in construction, a lot of owners are just like yelling and they're intense. Right. And cause they've got so many balls in the air, but. No. And I think successful people and successful contractors, again, they're, they're not going to feel threatened either. Right. Because there is that, and you touched about it on with, um, Spencer there, Spencer touched on it with the scarcity mindset. These guys have this abundance mindset and they're not threatened by you. And it's more along the lines of, yeah, let me show you not a problem. This is what's gotten me here. And um, so once you realize that, once you realize that people, um, the right people aren't going to feel threatened by you and they're going to want to help you that, that will, I think um, really help you get better. How do you deal with stress? You know, it's funny. I, I don't, I don't feel very stressed and maybe I'm, I, I'm just fortunate. Um, at, since I was a subcontractor installer for so many years for just say one entity, you know, the work was always steady. Right. And so the stress so much wasn't there. It was more of just a physical stress. You know, the mm-hmm. bills are sort of all paid. I'm not in debt. I'm putting a little bit of money aside every month. And so like, and so the mental stress wasn't there so much um and i think maybe some of us get stress and anxiety mixed up um since i've since i've pulled out of the subcontracting game together there seems to be a lot more balls that i'm juggling right i've got to figure out um some designs or i have to figure out when i'm going to be going to the next uh, craftsman training and how i'm going to go about that process but i i'm starting to find it really exhilarating as opposed to sort of stressful. It's more of a, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And it, so things really don't keep me up at night. And again, I'm very fortunate in that maybe I'm just, I don't have that much stress that I have to worry too much about it. It's more of a, okay, what do I need to do today, you know, to get these tasks done so that I can do the next task tomorrow. And so, yeah, I feel, again, I cannot say this enough. I feel very fortunate and, you know, knock on wood that I don't feel as stressed or that I have as much stress as maybe other people have. I like it. That is fortunate. Yeah. It's it's not lost on me. It's easy. It's easy for people to let stuff get out of control in their brains. Um, very much so yeah and i think that might be sort of the anxiety aspect of it and you know i heard it explained to her explained to me once um and it stuck with me it's it's 
rocking in a rocking chair. You're moving, but you're not going anywhere. And that's where these sort of runaway thoughts will do to you. Whereas mm-hmm. you're just constantly thinking about the same thing. Yeah. You think you're, you're actually making progress, but you're not, you're just in a rocking chair going back and forth. And that was a little liberating to realize that, okay, maybe me laying awake at night thinking about all of these problems, isn't doing anything for me and, you know, let it, let it lie and you can take care of it tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, but that's completely different than laying awake at night. And this happened to me the other night. I'm in bed, it's 1130. I'm thinking about, you know, this one room where I'm, I'm sort of designing cabinetry. And I'm like, Oh, you know what? I need to change that from a, you know, a base 21 to a base 24. Hang on, let me jump up out of bed and let me just start working on the drawings or maybe jot some notes down. It's a little, feels a little different. It's more like problem solving and not stress. I'm like, oh my God, you know, I need to change that cabinet to a base 24. It's, it's, hey man, that's, that's kind of cool. My brain's on fire here. I'm, I'm thinking about things I need to do and I'm enjoying it as opposed to dreading it. Yeah. Um, no, that's interesting. Um, you're laying in bed problem solving. And yeah. Sometimes I'd be laying in bed. I'm, I'm not stressed like I, when I was crazy busy, but where I just lay in bed and real. Yeah. But a lot of it was irrational yeah. because you slept part of the night and kind of woken up thinking about something. And then in the morning, like what even was that? It's not even yeah. a real thing. It's, it's as a, but I think that was due to just high pressure and stress for sure. Right. Yeah. You know, I was, yeah. I was juggling too many people. Yeah. Other people. Person. Go ahead. No, I, I, yeah. And that's just it. See, I don't have that stress of juggling multiple, m- you know, multiple trades. Um, I don't have employees, you know, it is, it is just me. And so, and also, and, and another, you know, thing I should point out, I don't have children. Right. And that adds, I think, um, an inordinate amount of stress, good stress and bad stress. Right. It's there. There's a lot more on the line. And so it's not and also not lost on me that I don't have the, those added stressors. Right. Both um, emotionally and financially. And so, yeah, it's um, it, it's I'm again in a very fortunate position in that aspect is that I'm not juggling so many trades or so many people or so many, you know, a massive schedule here. It's, it's really just me you know, job to job to job, as opposed to five or six or seven jobs at once right now. Mm-hmm. You know, what book are you reading or what book changed the game for you? I would say, oh man, I have to say profit first for contractors. I'm looking at it right there. It's on my shelf. Um, that certainly helped. It's, it's a, it's a deep dive into your numbers. And again, I don't, I didn't, I'm not going to say I didn't get a lot of it, you know, a lot of it can go over my head, but um, just reading something uh, as succinct as that and sort of helped me, um, you know, set up the proper bank accounts to start paying myself, to start paying my tax account, to start, you know, creating a profit account, huge, huge for me. Um, So, yeah, I I would suggest that it's certainly going to help you. It is so important to get your head into the business aspect as a tradesperson. Craft, working with your hands is so different than sitting at the computer and doing right. art and, and looking at a spreadsheet and just glazing over. Yeah, I think uh, one, one, one statement that really sticks out to me, and it's not from that book, it was from back in the day when there were woodworking forums, um, mm-hmm. you know, before social media. Um, one gentleman said, you're going to make more money 
sitting in front of your computer than you ever will on the bags. And it's a God's honest truth. That's mm-hmm. your money is made in front of your computer. You know, we all, we can, we can do the craft all day long, but uh, sitting in front of uh, sitting at your desk in front of your computer, that, that is where the real money is made. And that's, I think something that gets lost on people. Yeah, that is, that is valid. That's where you, you dial in your processes. I'm doing this over and over again. Now, that was a question that my previous guest asked. Now, if you were to ask a question oh, to a tradesperson who became a business person who might be on my show, what would you ask them? What's the first thing I should do to be a successful business owner? I asked a very successful business owner here um, probably about 14, 15 years ago, a uh, high-end um, contractor. And he looked at me dead in the eye and he said, hire a good accountant, period. And this is a very wealthy man. And he said, that accountant's going to make you more money than anything. And uh, I really took that to heart. It's taking me time. It's, it might take you time to find that accountant. Uh, don't be afraid to cut bait um, if that person isn't being proactive. But um, yeah, the question, I, I, I think I'm paraphrasing the question was like, what should I do? Uh, what's the first thing I should do? You know, now that I'm self-employed. And he, I mean, he stopped in his tracks and turned and looked at me and said, hire a good accountant. And it was, mm-hmm. and he said it with, with weight. It was not something that he said off the cuff. It was, you know, dead in the eye. You need to take this very seriously. Um, the way he said it. From, from the, from the outset of this podcast, I've been trying to tell people, get a CPA, get some yeah. of your books. Do not learn that. You don't need to learn it. Waste of time. Eventually, you're going to pay someone to do it. Yeah. Because eventually, you will absolutely have no time to do that. You only have time to do that stuff when you're starting out and you don't have all the work. Yeah. Or you'll get forced to hire one when you're getting audited because you didn't do something correct. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's no like, getting, yeah, forced, no like getting injured. Yeah. It's like you get no injured. Oh, I got, now I got to change gears. But yeah, don't risk it. It's not something you need to learn. Bookkeeping, I think very important to learn when you're beginning, but ultimately something that you should also pass along. Um, let that person, your accountant, at, you know, can also be your bookkeeper, just depends. Let them handle that stuff. Pay that person however much so that you don't have to work on a Saturday. Because that's what I was doing. I was working all week and then spending my Saturdays and Sundays in front of a computer, you know, balancing a checkbook, paying, you know, like, so much paying bills, tracking things in QuickBooks. Well, what's your time worth? You know, that's time. Exactly. That you can be, that's time you can spend actually, you know, fiddling around the yard or walking the dog. You know, it's time better spent um, doing things other than that. And I'm going to, I'm just going to add in that the, the amount of money you pay a CPA or an accountant at the end of the year, it's, it is nothing compared to the time you get back out of it. Oh my God, man. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you get, you start to realize the old you get to, you start, I've been talking and talking to my therapist about it. You know, let's normalize mental, mental health too. Um, life units, you know, you have X amount left. What's your time worth? What is, what is your time worth? You know, I would rather spend that time having fun or being out in the sunshine than sitting in front of my computer trying to figure something out that my accountant, you know, take something that could take me two hours that my accountant could figure out in 20 minutes. Like it's a no brainer. Or one minute. Or one minute. Yeah. 
And then in the send you a bill and it's one of those shut up and take my money. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just got two hours of my life back. So, yeah. yeah. And I like the emphasis on normalizing mental health because I think a lot of trades people, if there's a mental health issue, push it down. Yeah. Or, our, it up. or there's, or there's some kind of shame. Yeah. Take yeah. a concrete pill, take concrete. Yeah. Pill. Yeah. It's funny, man. Once I, um, I don't, you know, get too far down on this, but uh, once I started going to therapy and, you know, I'm in a couple of group chats on Instagram with, with guys that I, I, I really admire and I consider friends. The minute I said it, every one of them was like, oh, that's great. Best thing I've ever did in my life. And it's like, whoa, I had, I, I had no idea that you, you had gone into therapy. So it's more people I think are doing it than, than we know. It's just, I think maybe talking about it might help someone um, look into it. And it's certainly, it's, it's helped me considerably and it's helped my friends as well. So yeah, I, let's normalize it. Talk about it. Um, let's try not to have some stigma about, you know, talking this to a, to a third party who is again, much smarter than I will ever be and can kind of give you an outsider's view and some feedback on how you're viewing certain things in your life. I completely agree. If, if, if someone out there thinks like they're suffering and you're not talking to someone yeah. and you can't talk to your friends and family about it, go see yeah. someone. Yeah, for sure. It made a huge difference in my life as well. Yeah. And I, I that's another thing where I just wish I'd done it sooner. Right. Absolutely. I uh, could not agree more. I don't really regret where I am, but I, just, <laughs> why. Yeah, but but it could have come, it could have been easier. <laughs> right. It might've happened sooner. I might've been a happier person sooner, but you know, you can't, can't regret it. I'm happy with who I am, where I am, but yeah, certainly uh, uh, wish I had, had maybe sought it out a little sooner for sure. Why do skilled trades matter? I don't know about you, but I like uh, being able to flush the toilet. You know, I like to be able to take a hot shower. Yeah. I like a roof over my head. Um, I like the fact that um, if my refrigerator breaks down, I can I can have it repaired, or I can maybe repair it myself. Um, we take I think we take a lot of our day to day for granted. Like my car breaks down, uh, I you know a mechanic's going to fix it. We take our day to day so for granted. Um, where if you did not have skilled trades, society would fall apart in a matter of hours or minutes. And so that's, that's why I think the skilled trades matter. You know, I was listening to a news program the other day and the person in the, it was like marketplace or something. And the person being interviewed kept referring to the working class. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, that, you know, at, at my age now, I just thought I haven't hearing this term my whole life. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but the way she said it just reminded me of how it felt like in the eighties when my aunt was telling me I needed to have a job or a, a skill to fall back on. Yeah. I think, yeah. Be, I think it needs to be renamed. I think it needs to be re, re, rethought out. Yeah. You should be proud to be a worker. I couldn't agree more. Proud to to have mad skills. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I just couldn't agree more. Um, 
my father was, I didn't think, took very kindly to me going into the trades. And he was expected that I would go to college. Um, it wasn't only expected, no, it was expected that I go to college and, you know, make something out of my life, quote unquote. Um, I flunked out of college uh, at first. Um, and he literally wrote me off um, in a letter uh, as a bad investment. He is now incredibly proud of me as a, uh, as a business owner and a tradesman and a skilled tradesman for sure. I mean, so it's a pretty big turnaround. And so, and he's a very successful man in, you know, in banking. And so an attorney as well, uh, multiple degrees. And so to, for him to sort of have that, um, you know, that, that realization that while his son might not have a college degree, he's actually very, can, is very successful. Uh, and, and he takes pride in that. He can see what, what I do, what I'm, what I've, what I've created. And so, yeah, it's, um, working in the trades, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. The school of hard knocks. I mean, you're a professor, you're a professor of cabinetry installation now, basically. Yeah. You put in, you, you put in way over the 10,000 hours. I would think so at this point. (laughs) doesn't take long yeah. as a tradesman to put in the 10,000 hours. No, it does not. You know, but, you know, somebody, uh, you know, but or, uh, a guy by the name, an author by the name of Richie Morton. And I try to remind myself of this. Just because somebody has been doing something for 20 years doesn't mean they've been doing the right thing. It could, somehow, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, it means that they could be doing the wrong thing for, for 20 years. You know, it's just you have to be at least be open to learning and, and trying new processes. But yeah, I've been doing it. I'd like to think it has been a, a 22 plus years of spending the time learning different processes and not just, you know, relying on the, the time spent or, you know, saying, yeah, I've done 20, 22 years. Well, you might've been doing it wrong for 22 years, you know, but. I got to admit when I saw you throw that uh, refri- over fridge cabinet up and just walk away from it without. <laughs> screw it without being like, like oh yeah i should have hooked up with this guy a long time ago yeah it's funny it's the little tips like that again that we all take for granted um that we don't realize that might be revolutionary it might make a job a guy's job a little easier and it was always drilled into me to not fight gravity use ledgers whenever you can um because working solo and i think working solo forces you to come up with with really uh unconventional ways of, of doing things mm-hmm. um in a safe way as well. Um, so you don't hurt yourself. You just come up with crazy things. What do you value most? Now my time, my time, my mental health more than anything. Um, if a job doesn't feel right, or if I'm not going to enjoy doing it, I'm not going to do it. And it's, um, it's easy to say, it's another thing to actually act on, you know, it is. And, and, Sometimes when people say they pick and choose jobs or if I'm saying that it sounds arrogant to somebody, it does say no, yeah. it, it, but it's, it, but it's not, you have to, what you get to a point where you use your, use your senses, use your sixth sense yeah. to know whether this is right or not, not just what's on paper. Yes. 100%. I've, I just actually had to recently do that. And it was a, and it's something I, I vacillated. It's just, I don't, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I not? Ultimately, 
I had to trust my gut and my initial reaction was to not do it. And it was one of those, yeah, this isn't a good fit. And it's a, and it sounds arrogant and maybe it is a sign of the times and things could very well change in the next year or two, depending on what's happening with interest rates and all of that and you know, potential recession, who knows, but it's a position that I'm in right now and I'm going to take advantage of it. And if it doesn't feel like a good fit and I'm not going to enjoy it, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And if you're picking among jobs, so I, I mean, I can see how people still would say, no, that's arrogant. I think, well, if there's 10 jobs and I don't have time to do them all, I've got to pick yeah. the ones I want for one. Right. Because there's that much, but, but you do, you do still have to consider your mental health. You have to yeah. consider what this is going to do to you if it doesn't feel right. And actually you, I like that you said you were going back and forth vacillating on this, this one. Cause I, if I start feeling that, I just lean towards no immediately. It's yeah. like, whoa, if this, if I'm questioning it, it doesn't, it's not going to work. Yeah. Sort of that, that saying, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I, I really have just recently realized how much happier I am now where I was, you know, as opposed to a year ago and compared, compared to last year. And I'm not going back to that, that, that state of mind. Yeah, and I really like that we're getting kind of the time scale in, in, into this. So, because people will listen to you and I talk who are way younger without any gray hair yet. And it sounds like we've been established for a really long time. Yeah. But we've been establishing ourselves for a really long time. Right. Even when you get across that line where people really respect you and you're, you're kind of a, a pillar, you're still growing and yeah. learning. Absolutely. It's a 20 year overnight success, right? That's just, that's what it feels like for sure. Uh, yeah. I think that people maybe wouldn't realize how recent a lot of these things have happened to us to, to take us to this conversation. So, oh yeah, no, five, five years, actually, yeah, let's, let's call it four years, uh, four years. And um, it's come by fast. Again, very fortunate that, that a lot of these things are happening. I put myself in a position to, you know, do this craftsman training to consult and uh, potentially get up the tools full time. Who is your mentor? A gentleman by the name of Mark Gray. He was a neighbor of ours growing up. He was a retired underwater demolitions team guy from, from the Navy. And uh, boy, did that guy teach my brother and I a sense of responsibility. Um, and he really, he really drilled into us the importance of hard work. And he was actually one of the first person to say, you can make a ton of money in the trades. It was lost on me at the time, but he was a, he was the very first adult male to look at me square in the eye and say, you can make a lot of money without a college degree period. So that's, that's one. I think uh, right now, um, who would I look up as a mentor? I have a couple of mentors. Um, Ken Alger, he's on Instagram. Uh, R.I. Woodworker, very successful businessman up in Rhode Island. Um, Sean Van Dyke is a mentor. He is somebody I rely on. He not, you know, yes, I hired him as a business coach. Um, he is now a friend and a mentor. I can call him and ask him questions and 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 put things across and ask for his uh, his his perspective on it. Um, Joe. Uh, Elite Concepts on Instagram. He's another mentor as well. So I have a few. I'm very, again, very fortunate to have a few people. And there's others I'm sure I'm forgetting right now, but that I can, if I have something that I think is maybe above my pay grade or I need a, um, a different perspective on, I can reach out 
to a few different people and say, Hey, you know, what are your thoughts on this? I think for myself that I have some people I call mentors. And then I think there were some people along the way among them that I didn't know they were mentoring me at the time. Right. And I don't know if they knew the impact they had on me. Yeah. I think Mark, again, again, this guy, Mark Gray, he knew at the time, because we were, I mean, my brother and I were just dumb teenagers. I mean, just really, um, but this guy, he, 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 I think he saw potential uh, in my brother, especially, uh, and, 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 and in me, because we both worked for him as well in this concrete ready mix company. Uh, but boy, that guy put the time in, mm. you know, he really put the time in and helped. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, teacher. Yeah. I think uh, I want to be known um, as a, as a preeminent teacher for cabinetry installation. Um, yeah. Cause I don't, it, it's really weird. And I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that I don't have children. So that's, that's not going, that cannot be my legacy. Right. So the legacy is going to have to be this craftsman training, teaching people, making people's lives better, making them earn more, helping them. I'm making, helping them earn more money faster. And I really, and I get a lot of that on Instagram. I get a lot of direct messages from younger tradesmen thank, you know, thanking me for helping them learn things that uh, they erstwhile would not have learned, but for having seen, maybe watched my stories and seen some of the, the tips that I've shared. So that's what I think I want my legacy to be as a teacher. Okay, let's, I'm going to guess your favorite tool. Okay. I'm going to guess probably a laser. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, and seeing as how I stress layout so much, it's really funny, man. Up to about three years ago, I never had a laser. I just went, I went straight bubble all the time and mm -hmm. I never understood or saw the value in it. And now I just couldn't, I just kicked myself. I, I have gotten so much better as an installer with a laser. So yeah, that one, that that's, that's probably one B I'd say one A would be the track saw just from mm -hmm. a, uh, from an implementation, just from a tool usage standpoint on site as an installer, 100%. Yeah. But uh, you can't get there unless you've got a good laser you know? Yeah. What about the most useful tool? Oh, useful tool then that would be the track saw for sure. And yes, the yeah. where, and the, the, where have you been on my life tool? Yeah, that was, uh, that was, track track saw. Saw. That was also a track <laughs> saw. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, I think a lot of these guys, these young bucks, they don't understand like back in the day, you know, you were cutting with a skill saw and, or if you had to get a finished cut, you cut it with a skill saw and then route with a straight edge. And like now you just you're craft your track. A, yeah. You're looking for a yeah. straight two by four to clamp down and right. Your clamps are moving and yeah. You're hoping you're yeah. holding off for dear life. Hoping this router doesn't go crazy on you. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, we take a, I think a lot of the guys take that for granted, uh, but it's a good, in a good way. It's great to have these tools, uh, but it's definitely, man, that track saw has uh, revolutionized and, and made, I would say it makes me, has made me so much money over the years. Like, oh my, it's just the amount of time you save on site. Yeah. If you think a tool is going to save you money and time yeah. and money, then buy it. Oh, the other one too. The yeah. The other one, the Craig Foreman on site for, as an installer, the, 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 the pocket jig, the Craig Foreman has, that thing is a money printer for sure. You know, 
Um, I never guess people's favorite job site jams, but I'm thinking yours is old school hip hop. Yeah, you nailed it. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Hands down. That and Run the Jewels. They're uh, uh, RTJ. They're, they are by far some of my, uh, some of my, that's my favorite music for sure. Old school hip hop. 100%. Just gets you in a good mood, man. And it really just keeps you moving. Yeah. Late 80s, early 90s was. Oh, yeah. Golden era. Yeah. Um, what's the best live concert you've ever been to? Oof. Um, God. All right. I'll start with the craziest one. The craziest one was Tool in Tijuana. Mm. I'm just glad. Yeah. I'm happy to make it through that one. But I would say, um, I'm going to say U2 Zuropa. I mean, we're going back to 1992, 93. That was. That was the first time, first real live concert and, you know, YouTube at people. It's uh, really a, an amazing spectacle where they brought multimedia sort of to the forefront of, uh, of a stadium experience. Unbelievable. Cool. Yeah, Public Enemy opened up for them, which was amazing. Mm. I mean, yeah, so that, that was, that's probably the top one. PE in full effect. Right. Boy. Yeah, it was amazing. Is there anyone you want to give a shout out to today? Yeah, if there's anybody I want to give a shout out to, it would be my brother, Tom. Just a solid dude. Great father, good family man, very successful businessman by his own right. I think actually just by anybody's right. Um, so yeah, it would be Tommy. Do you think that people listening to this podcast should get on? iTunes right now and write a review of this. I think they should. Yeah. I think they really should. (laughs) They'd be stupid not to. Hear that? (laughs) Hey, you guys, if you want to see more of John's work, you go to JCH at JCH cabinets on Instagram and John, tell them a little bit more about where they can find more information about the craftsman program. You can find it at, uh, craftsmantraining.com but um, you can also just reach out to me directly through Instagram send me a direct message and we can we can have a conversation and we can talk a little bit more and talk about what your needs are as far as um, what your team needs and what we need to focus on with regards to training because it is highly customized when it comes down to your team and what exactly you need and we can cover that and go from there there's you guys, your opportunity to learn from the master himself. Well, John, I know you got a, a lot going on, so I'm going to let you get back to your day. Uh, thanks so much it. for joining me here. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure, truly. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been good, good talking the last couple of days. Thanks, man. And I look forward to seeing how the Craftsman program goes. Me too. Me too. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Before you go, I want to give a shout out to Reese Robb of RCC Contracting Services out of Amherstburg, Ontario. Reese just left me an amazing review on iTunes and among other things said that every contractor should listen to every episode. Thank you so much for that, Reese. And if you're out there listening and you're looking for a contractor in Windsor or Essex counties, Ontario, RCC Contracting, that's your man. Thanks again to John Hilgenberg for hanging out with me. All right, you guys, that's all I got. Later.